The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. The FDA ready to clear the way for vaccine booster shots for some Americans as federal and local leaders fight a rise in infections. The Northeast starting to become the latest hotspot. Fresh taper talk from another Fed head as the San Francisco bank chief offers her insight into when the trillions in easy money may start to slow. More oil, please, while the White House is now asking OPEC for help. A potential first for Janet Yellen as the Biden administration may send her to China. And our conversation with famed restaurateur Eric Repair on if he's worried about another round of lockdowns in New York. It is Thursday, August 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Good Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures, they are mixed. It came off, though, a nice day for the Dow, up more than 200. Technology slid just a bit. Dow futures up 36. NASDAQ futures off a touch. By the way, if you're counting at home... It was the 46th record close for the S&P 500 in 2021. Wow. And it's only mid-August. Meantime, here's how crypto looks on another strong run for Bitcoin and Ethereum lately, but not right now. Bitcoin is down just about 3%. Ethereum down about 4%, but Bitcoin and Ethereum have been red hot the last couple of days. And checking oil as well. We are seeing oil just a touch lower, lower, but this after President Biden called on OPEC Plus to raise production as gasoline prices rise across America. We will talk more about that with the head of the American Petroleum Institute in just a few minutes on this show. We are seeing a slight tick up in prices right now. Well, speaking of prices, let's find out how they are pricing the trade in Europe. Get the trade and some of your top stories as well. Juliana Tottlebaum is in our London newsroom with that. Good morning, Juliana. Brian. Brian, good morning. Great to see you. So we're off to a fairly slow start here in Europe, becoming slightly more positive as the morning is progressing. As you can see, we've got the FTSE 100 underperforming down about 10 basis points or so, but otherwise marginal gains for European markets. And we are coming off of a very strong run. Yesterday, the stock 600, the main benchmark, rallied about four-tenths of a percent, making it eight straight positive sessions in a row. So European markets have been performing quite well of late. Turning to the sectors, this is what the breakdown looks like so far this morning. Fairly split picture. On the upside, we've got insurance outperforming up about 1%. A number of names in the insurance space have reported this morning and provided solid updates to the market. On the downside, basic resources is the main drag, down 1.2%. But within that basket, Rio Tinto is trading ex-dividend today. So that's providing uh, the drag on that sector. I want to highlight a few stocks for you, single movers that stand out. Aviva in the insurance space up more than 3%. The insurance 
has announced it will return around four billion pounds to investors via a buyback program and dividends amid activist pressure from Sevian Capital. In the entertainment space, Cineworld has reported pre-tax losses of $576 million for the first half, an improvement, though, from more than a billion dollar loss the year before. The company is considering a U.S. listing as a means of raising fresh liquidity to plug the gap, so a story to watch. And then finally, in food delivery, Delivery Hero has upgraded its full-year outlook after delivering a record 730 million orders in the second quarter. But the German takeaway group says the core business will remain loss-making as it focuses on expansion. Brian, back over to you. All right, Juliana Tattlebaum in London, thank you very much. Now to some of this morning's top stories stateside. The FDA ready to authorize a third round of vaccines for certain Americans as early as today. Under the move, the agency would amend the emergency use authorizations for Pfizer and Moderna to allow people with compromised immune systems to get a third shot. CDC is also set to meet tomorrow to review data on booster shots in other immune-compromised individuals. A reminder, both these shots still only approved for emergency use. The number of Americans who have gotten at least one shot, though, nearing 60%, with 50% now fully vaccinated. Remember, that's the total population, not just adults. Shares of eBay under some pressure this morning. The company's outlook for both earnings and revenue for the current quarter falling short of expectations. eBay reporting a drop in active buyers during the second quarter as more of us headed back out to actual brick and mortar stores. Stock down a bit, about a percent and a half. By the way, the CEO will be on CNBC later on today. And San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly says the central bank should start or could start scaling back its easy money policy by the end of the month. Speaking with the Financial Times, Daly cites the strength of the economic rebound for her projection. Those comments follow Richmond Fed Chief Thomas Barkin yesterday saying it may take a few more months of recovery in the job market before he would be on board with dialing back bond buying. All right, let us dive in now further to all of this and bring in our friend Dan Veru, Palisade Capital Management co-chairman and chief investment officer. Dan, great to have you back on. You're calling small caps and very prescient. But before we get to stocks, let's talk about mm-hmm. the Fed, because every day it seems like we get another Fed headline. Win this, win that. Does it matter to you? Should it matter to us and our viewers if the Fed begins to, quote, taper in September or December? Does that matter or is it more of the act of tapering? Uh, I think this is one of the best communicated uh, stories out there by the Federal Reserve. I think they're conditioning the markets to prepare for that time when they remove, when they begin to slow the bond buying and begin tapering. Uh, Brian, I think that it really doesn't matter. I think the market's expecting it. I think economic conditions remain very strong. I think they're leaving themselves as much optionality as they possibly can as they monitor the Delta variant and what potential impact that could have uh, on the economy. I mean, it matters to the bond market, I'm sure, and stock investors may care if there's short-term trading. But to your point, I ask that, Dan, because we know they are going to taper. It may get delayed by a bit, but it's going to happen. So how do we or how should we have already set up perhaps our investments to account for that or 
Maybe not at all. The best gauge, though, is what's going on with 10-year Treasury yields, which, as you've talked about many times with Scott Minard and others, you know, yields have dropped more recently. So clearly the bond market is expressing concerns uh, about uh, the potential for growth right now. Uh, it, it, you know, I think as they begin to taper, it'll be very uh, you'll you'll know quite quickly uh, through 10 year Treasury yields uh, what the impact is. Uh, I don't think that it changes liquidity because, again, what's different this time than perhaps when uh, we've tapered in the past is you have extraordinary uh, spending on the part of Congress. I mean, that was always missing uh, in the past. You know, we've always had the monetary stimulus. Now we've got the fiscal stimulus uh, to to offset perhaps some of the draining of liquidity there. Yeah, I mean, think about that. We're talking about the taper in the bond market, but yet we're also talking about another three and a half trillion dollar potential spending plan. That's not and we're not talking about the one that just got passed by the Senate. This would be the next one. Now, some people think it's not going to get done. It'll get pared back, maybe two and a half, three, one and a half, whatever the number might be. That could counter any taper, could it not? Because we're. We're adding trillions in spending to the American economy, debt funded, by the way, for the next number of decades, probably. Yeah. And and I do think uh, you're exactly right. I think uh, that these are not foregone conclusions that, in fact, that's actually going to get through uh, the House. Uh, I think there's going to be a very vigorous dialogue back and forth between both parties about how much is the right amount uh, of spending to be done. Uh, uh, look, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic because uh, we are going to get the, uh, I do think the infrastructure bill is likely to happen. The other spending, in my opinion, is probably not uh, needed and probably causes other problems, yeah. inflationary pressures down the road. Uh, but we'll see what happens. And, you know, as, as Dan Clifton from Strategus has pointed out, if if they have to raise taxes to pay for that, you know, higher taxes means lower profits. And uh, that will that's something that the market has not calibrated yet, because I think it's it's questioning the likelihood of that second huge uh, amount of stimulus yeah. that would well, well, that where tax increases would go some, along somebody. With it. Somebody somehow will have to pay for it. Debt does have to be paid back very quickly. Dan, leave us with an idea, yeah. some optimism this morning. Tell us about yeah. Repligen. Yeah, so it's time to get uh, more exposed to, generally speaking, to small cap stocks. Repligen is a great example of what we like to look for. Don Brack, my healthcare analyst, did outstanding work on this. We started buying the shares in 2015 when it was a 500 million market cap company. It's now about 14 billion. This is a company in the bioprocessing space. Very similar dynamics that are driving the growth here that are driving the growth for Danaher, which we spoke about uh, some time ago. And I think this company is incredibly well positioned. They've done a great job on the capital allocation side, which, as we've talked about before, is very important to how we like to invest. They've made highly strategic mm-hmm. acquisitions that I think position them incredibly well. And, you know, COVID-19 is going to be with us for a while from the standpoint of the further mutations, and that plays uh, well into uh, into the business opportunity for Replica. 
All right, Dan Vru offering up an idea as well. We're watching Replogen. Dan, always a pleasure to have you on CNBC. Thank you, our friend. Have a great day. Appreciate it. All right, we are just getting started on a busy Thursday. And when we come back, the head of one New Jersey hospital breaks down the rise in cases here and why the Northeast may become the latest hotspot. Plus, your big money movers, including a pair of electric car makers who shares getting a bit of a jolt this morning. Sorry. And later, deliver this. DoorDash could be making a massive deal and turning the world of delivery upside down. All those stories straight ahead as Worldwide Exchange rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories happening right now. Let's go. Number one, NEO. The Chinese electric car maker giving up earlier gains after reporting a narrower than expected loss. Revenue did surge over 100% from a year ago in the second quarter. They say they delivered nearly 22,000 electric vehicles, stock down about a half percent. Stock number two, another electric vehicle name, Lordstown Motors, and maybe some good news for those who have bought one of their trucks. Lordstown says it plans to start limited production of their truck later on this month. That developing development helping the stock, it is up about six and a half percent. And finally, Sonos. And listen to this, a stock rocking after posting a surprise profit. Sonos reporting earnings of 12 cents per share, better than the 17 cent loss expected by analysts. The CEO saying as more video content goes directly to you, that you are demanding a more theater-like experience at home and using more of their products. Sonos up 11.5%. All right on deck. Are New York City restaurateurs worried about a potentially another round of lockdowns? Our conversation with legendary chef Eric Repair on why he's optimistic and what he's doing to make sure you feel safe. Today's big number, $61 billion. That's how much money was invested into private companies last month, matching the all-time record set in June. According to data from Crunchbase, 53 startups became unicorns in July. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. 
But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back and good morning. It is uh, 519 here in New York City, and we are seeing the city in Times Square start to pop back to life just a bit. The Nasdaq there on the bottom right. We'll see the squawk and the gang there in just a minute. Well, New York City, like so many other metro areas, is seeing a rise in COVID cases. And now companies across New York are starting to delay their return to office plans. Caught in the middle, thousands of New York City restaurants worried about what happens to them. So we wanted to know and reached out to the king of Manhattan dining, Eric Repair, chef and co-owner of La Bernardin, also vice chairman of City Harvest and author of the new cookbook, Vegetable Simple. We sat down with Eric and we asked him if he is worried about the potential for any new shutdowns coming to Manhattan. No, I do not hear anything about shutting down uh, in Manhattan and uh, I'm actually pretty much optimistic because, as you probably know, the mayor announced that as of September 16, every client that goes to restaurant has to show proof of, of vaccination. And uh, most of the restaurants in New York, to my knowledge at least, uh, all the employees are vaccinated. And for instance, at Le Bernardin, we have a very strict protocol, safety protocol, and uh, all our employees are vaccinated. All the people who interact uh, with Le Bernardin, who deliver food and so on, must wear a mask. And then now we were actually, before the, the mayor announced um, mandatory uh, proof of vaccination, we, we started to ask our clients for it. And we have a very positive feedback. The clients are not... Um, um, mad at us or not at all or frustrated. They are actually very happy. And I think that is going to uh, make New York a very vibrant city in the fall and, and not closing down like we have seen in the past. So how does it work? Uh, if I want to eat at La Bernadette, obviously I'm going to, you're not just walking in, you're going to make a reservation. Do I uh, submit a copy uh, of my vaccination card? Do I, do you just rely on my word of honor? Uh, because we know People can say whatever they want. You can buy these cards online for like 100 bucks. How does the process work, Eric? The way the process works is that when you make your reservation, we let you know that you need proof of vaccination for all your guests. And then when you come at the door, um, actually people from New York, New York State have a COVID vaccine uh, passport uh, in their phone. So that's pretty easy. Then if, um, if you have a card and you do not have that that COVID passport, we ask for your ID and the card has to match the ID. And then we hope that people are not cheating because um, that would be bad for them and for everybody. And have you had any pushback on that at all? And if somebody were to, to not have the card or to say, well, you know, darn it, I don't, I don't need one. You know, this isn't America. You know, we, I can, whatever. What's the, what's the action plan? I mean, what, what, what then? What's very interesting, when I announced it on my, on my social media, on Instagram and Twitter, I got a little bit of backlash and uh, I was a bit worried. And then 
uh, actually the people, when we call them uh, or when they make reservations, uh, at the contrary, they feel relieved and they feel safe and they feel very happy and they are thanking us. So it's a very big difference in between what we see on social media and the reality of um, what's happening with the business. People really need uh, to feel safe and this is a way uh, to, to implement that. And you've got lunch now at La Bernadette as well that has come back. Obviously, it's a where you are in 51st Street is a big business community. We're seeing New York still only about 25% back to the office based on the latest data. But from where you sit, Eric, and we've had the privilege to talk to you every couple of months, are you, are you, where are you, if you don't mind sharing, where are you in back to business? Are you at pre-COVID levels, below, above? Are you sensing a return to the office? What do you feel and see from your perch? So we are reopening the lunch on September 15 for Le Bernardin. And uh, what I hear from people in our building, from BNP Paribas and other companies, is that they are slowly bringing back part of their team uh, starting in September. And um, some companies bring back everybody. Some companies have rotations and it's about 40 to 50% of their uh, staff. But uh, in a building surrounding Le Bernardin, which is basically Rock, Rockefeller Center and um, uh, it, uh, between Rockefeller Center and Times Square, uh, almost everybody's coming back to their office. And uh, uh, when we opened the book for reservation uh, for September 15, we for lunch, we um, we realized that quickly that we were already booked. Wow, so good sign. All right, so our big thanks to the famed chef, Eric Repair. And if there is one takeaway from that, if you want to grab lunch at La Brunna Den, you better make a reservation and have your vaccination credentials handy. Well, from dining to cruising, and why one cruise line CEO is drawing a rather hard line in the sand when it comes to vaccine mandates. We'll hear what he had to say. And if you don't already, be sure to follow our podcast. Dow Futures up 40, and we're back right after this. Get ready for a third shot while the FDA is set to approve another jab for a big group of Americans. The head of a New Jersey hospital is here on that and why the Northeast could be the next hotspot. Can you spare more oil? President Biden asking OPEC to raise production as gasoline prices rise across America. And your morning RBI and the anniversary of perhaps the most important day ever in the history of home computing. We'll tell you what happened on this day 40 years ago. It is Thursday, August 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, and good Thursday morning. Thank you very much for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day. Stock futures, at least the Dow anyway, it is higher. We are seeing Dow futures up, not a lot, but they are up about 40 points. NASDAQ off just a touch. We're coming off more strength and a nice day for the Dow, up more than 200 on Wednesday. Tech slid just a bit. And if you're counting at home, the 46th record closing high of the year for the S&P 500. Truly remarkable in what has been a juggernaut market nearing 10 months without a 5% drop for the S&P 500. Wow. All right. More on the markets in a bit. Let's get more now right now in the morning's top stories. 
And the Treasury Department apparently thinking about a trip for Janet Yellen to meet with leaders in China. According to Bloomberg, if the trip does happen, Yellen would likely meet with China's Vice President Leo He face to face. And it would be the highest ranking Biden administration member to visit China amid its broad review of policies and tariffs. The report says the decision is still in the early stages, with factors including travel risks stemming from COVID all being weighed. DoorDash has reportedly held talks about maybe buying Instacart. According to The Information, the paid website, conversations took place over the last two months with a potential price tag of 40 to $50 billion being bandied about. But the report says those talks did fall apart in recent weeks, partly over concerns of whether the deal would be signed off on by antitrust regulators. And the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Lines not mincing words when it comes to vaccine mandates. Speaking with Jim Cramer on last night's Mad Money, Frank Del Rio expressing his frustration with the lack of official orders from the government. I'm so disappointed in, in government at the local level, state level, federal, uh, that we don't have mandates. Whatever happened to good old leadership in this country? There is a pandemic going on. Imagine if 600, 700,000 people have died of anything else in this country other than COVID. There'd be an uproar. Over 35 million confirmed cases. You ask Dr. Gottlieb, he'll tell you it's over 100 million cases. And it's got to stop. And if we don't take leadership here, this is going to go on forever and ever and ever. All right. Strong words there for the head of Norwegian Cruise Lines. And why don't we begin this half hour with more on that and the pandemic? Because the FDA looks ready to greenlight a third vaccine dose for immunocompromised people. It would be the first official authorization of an additional dose in the U.S., Meantime, McDonald's says it will be requiring vaccination for its office workers as it pushes back its return to office date. That mandate will not apply, however, to those who work in its restaurants. And Alaska Airlines telling staff it is considering a vaccine mandate for its workers. Alaska would be the latest airline to require vaccination if it does so, along with United, Hawaiian and Frontier. Meantime, in New Jersey... It is seeing its highest number of positive COVID cases one day since April yesterday. Now, the Delta variant, which really has become COVID, is accounting for 90% of cases in New Jersey over the past month. And while hospitalizations have more than doubled during that same period, thankfully, the levels do remain well below what they were over the winter. Joining us now to talk about all of this once again is Dr. Sharif El-Nahal, president and CEO of University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, Dr. Elnahal, it's a pleasure to get you back on. I wish certainly it was under better conditions. Uh, can you give us first an update on the conditions in your hospitals? What is your hospitalization utilization? What are the available beds? What are you seeing on the ground right now? Well, thanks so much for having me on. First of all, we're all concerned about the rise in cases. And we know that cases precede hospitalizations and hospitalizations <clears throat> deaths. And so we're all uh, waiting with bated breath on what that's going to look like in our community. We have about 15 patients 
with COVID-19 in our hospital right now. That's up from just about five or so about 10 days ago. So still overall small numbers, but we're seeing a rise in folks coming to the emergency room and we're seeing a rise in children coming to the emergency room, which is the most concerning. We've had more children in our hospital with COVID-19 than we've really ever had in the pandemic in hospital beds, but we're also seeing a good number come through our emergency room. So we're all watching that closely to see what happens. Yeah, we're, we're also seeing this double whammy with kids of this rise in seasonal flu as well, are we not? So-called RSV, which is a respiratory virus, normally normal, hits in the winter, hitting early this year. Are we kind of seeing a double hit for our kids right now? We are, and we're actually seeing folks come in uh, with uh, kids that have RSV and kids that have COVID at the same time. And of course, you have to make sure uh, you're wary about the possibility of double infection at the same time. We're also worried about what flu season is going to look like in the fall, because as you know, last year, there were many more restrictions across the country about what folks could do and could not do, which led to uh, historic lows, actually, in flu infection. This year is going to be different. It's going to be different here in our community and in the New York metro area. And so we're bracing ourselves for what could be a simultaneous COVID surge and flu surge in our hospitals. So we're doing everything we can to prepare. We've got the PPE. We've got the surge plan. The beds are available. We know the playbook now. We're all just bracing ourselves to see what comes. And what do you think is going to happen? I mean, Dr. Elnahal, what's your your best guess as to how the fall might look? Because New Jersey cases, and again, cases, not the best metric, hospitalizations and outcomes are, we know that, but cases can tend to precede that. They're up more than 500% in New Jersey, one of the most highly vaxxed states in the country, by the way, in a month. What's your best guess for the fall, doctor? Well, we don't actually have to just guess. We have projections based on the case rates of transmission and what we're already seeing in hospitalizations. And we are projected to see a steep increase in September with a peak in New Jersey that could be anywhere between October and December, depending on how, on how bad Delta gets. I really want to reinforce this. This is entirely preventable at this point. And that's what's frustrating our frontline workers uh, everybody's on the same page now in our hospital, now that we instituted our mandate, that we need to make sure that as many environments as possible, as the Norwegian Cruise Line CEO is just saying, uh, have mandates and are compelling folks to do it in order to you know, be, have the privilege of potentially exposing others. Uh, that is what our healthcare workers are saying. They're exhausted. Uh, and we need to make sure that everybody's doing their civic part so that we don't have to deal with this. We have uh, early stage uh, cancer that we have to detect. We have uh, patients to see in our clinic. We need to move on and we can't move on unless folks get vaccinated. So I do support mandates uh, wherever possible. We've got 81% of New Jersey adults getting at least one shot, but it's a big state, about 9 million people. Let's say that half of those are adults or just a little over half. You do the back of the envelope math. That would imply there still may be more than a million adults who have not had any shot of the vaccine. I don't know if you have the numbers. I don't want to put you on the spot, doctor. But of those you are seeing coming in or hospitalized, not including children because the vaccine not authorized for them. We know that it's not authorized for anybody, actually, but it's not used for them. Um, are we are we seeing mostly the unvaccinated who are uh, coming into your hospital system? 
almost exclusively on vaccinated people coming to our emergency room and being admitted to the hospital. It's really important to reinforce that these vaccines are effective. They're very effective, even against the Delta variant. And just this week, there was a study released out of South Africa that showed that Johnson & Johnson is also quite effective at preventing hospitalization and death. And that was somewhat of an open question before that. So we have three vaccines that can prevent hospitalization and certainly can prevent death. And so when our healthcare workers see folks come in sick with COVID-19, you can understand why they're so frustrated because it, we're not at a point where this is just a crisis that we all have to face. This is entirely preventable and our vaccines can do that. And so, you know, uh, we do have pockets also in New Jersey uh, that are particularly under vaccinated. We see that in Irvington and some of the surrounding towns uh, near Newark. Newark is getting better and better. But hospitals like ours in urban areas and dense areas are facing the brunt of this because it's also yeah. a situation where we're in under vaccinated areas relatively. And very quickly, I know we got to go, doctor, but but talk to us about that. You've talked to us before. We are seeing lower vaccination rates in some of the urban areas as well. Sort of there's two areas that tend to have lower rates. You've got sort of very rural areas and very urban areas for you where you are. Are you seeing a lessening in vaccine hesitancy among your population, among the folks who would use your hospital system? Has it changed at all? It has changed, and it's changed in a really positive way. So Newark is almost at 70% of adults with at least one dose, lagging behind the rest of the state and the rest of the country overall. But remember, uh, Newark and the surrounding towns are predominantly a community of color. In the beginning of this experience, uh, a lot of folks in our community were hesitant, but they weren't in the absolute hesitant category. They were sort of in the wait and see and see how my community members, my leaders are doing with vaccination. And so we've been able to take advantage in recent months, yeah. in recent weeks, especially because of Delta, in reinforcing that these vaccines work and even canvassing going door to door doing global events, which has been successful. So there's promise to really vaccinate even more people here. Dr. Sharif El-Nahal uh, joining us once again on Worldwide Exchange. Doctor, we do appreciate it, an important topic, especially right now. And God bless, by the way, you and all your workers, all your staff, and the entire hospital system dealing with this now for going on a year and a half. Uh, we love you guys, and we appreciate all the, all the hard work that you, you're doing in, in really tough circumstances. Thank you, Doctor. All right, coming up, the White House calling on OPEC to get more oil to the market to combat rising gasoline prices. Coming up, head of the American Petroleum Institute to weigh in on that. We are back in one moment. Dow Futures up 36. All right, welcome back and good Thursday morning. Well, on Wednesday, the Biden administration coming out and asking OPEC and its allies like Russia to boost oil output, all to help tackle rising gasoline prices and to try to support the American economic recovery. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan dismissing the group's deal last month to gradually raise production by 400,000 barrels a day as inadequate. The White House also sending a letter from top economic advisor Brian Deese to the Federal Trade Commission urging a probe into gas prices and possible manipulation. President Biden underlining that theme, saying prices at the pump have remained high even as oil prices have come down. Recently, we've seen the price that oil companies pay for a barrel of oil began to fall. But the cost of gasoline is at the pump for more American people hasn't fallen. 
That's not what you'd expect in a competitive market. I want to make sure that nothing stands in the way of oil price declines leading to lower prices for consumers. Now, the White House later forced to clarify that outreach to OPEC and saying it's not necessarily aimed at an immediate response. And it is not also called on U.S. producers to try to ramp up output. Let's talk more now about all of this with Mike Summers. He is president and CEO of the American Petroleum Institute. Mike, uh, it was kind of a shocking turn of events. The president asking OPEC plus really meaning Russia and maybe Mexico to raise output kind of hit me. I cover oil and gas. As a bolt of lightning, what did you think about it? Well, Brian, we've been warning about this for eight months. I think, as you know, we've been very concerned about some of these pres- the president's policies, particularly as it relates to the leasing ban on onshore and offshore. Uh, we've been concerned about what they've done on American uh, pipeline infrastructure. And now they're threatening to increase taxes on American oil and gas. The policy response is clearly going to be an increase in uh, price as a consequence of that. You're seeing an increase of uh, supply, of course, but demand is also increasing as we're getting through the COVID pandemic. So we frankly think it's very outrageous when we have American producers making American oil and gas in the United States that we should be asking another country to increase their production. Yeah. And, and again, with with all due respect to the president, certainly, and I know prices have come down a couple of a couple of bucks in the last few weeks. They're up twenty dollars a barrel since the beginning of the year, up twenty five a barrel from a little bit before that, Mike. So we are seeing a tightening of demand. And as I have only half jokingly called it, 2021 is going to be the year of the traffic jam during covid people. They've they've gotten rid of mass transit. They've all bought cars. Everybody is moving around in their own vehicles. Gasoline demand is massive right now. Do we as Americans have the ability to meet that demand? Well, what we're seeing from this president right now is what we're calling an import more oil policy. They're doing all of these things to stifle supply from the United States. Uh, And as you know, capital flows where it is safe and welcome. And right now, this administration, through all of their actions, they're literally throwing the kitchen sink at the American oil and gas industry, an industry that supports 11 million American jobs. And we think that they should be doing more to incentivize American oil and gas production as uh, President Biden's predecessor, uh, President Obama did, which President Obama literally presided over the most important era of American production uh, in the history of this country, where we went from being a net a global importer of oil to a net uh, exporter of oil because of the fracking revolution that occurred under President Obama's watch. We want to go back to those policies. And I think Americans want us to go back to those policies as well. Well, I I spoke with a a former Obama administration official, uh, maybe uh, two just before the pandemic. And he was saying, yeah, it was the only industry adding jobs after the financial crisis. So, of course, We weren't going to come out against it. But you've got these forces that are at play as well. But, you know, Mike, I'm not going to just blame it on policy. Part of the reason that we're not seeing a jump in oil and gas production is because oil and gas investors have gotten burned in the last decade. And they're saying to the CEOs, hey, you know what? Don't put your money in the ground. Give it back to us. What is your 
What is your word of advice, perhaps, to the American oil and gas industry? Because it's not all regulation. It's also just the balance sheet, and people have gotten spooked in the last decade. Well, certainly there's been increased fiscal discipline in the oil and gas industry, and uh, that, is, that is absolutely part of the issue here. But at, when you put this new regulatory burden that you're putting on the American oil and gas industry right now, uh, you're going to have, of course, a, a price response to that. So those are certainly two factors that are figuring into increased pr uh, prices at the pump. But also remember that the environmental benefits of the American oil and gas industry are, have been incredible too. We would not be anywhere near meeting our Paris Climate yeah. Accord agreement were it not for that fracking revolution that occurred uh, 12 years ago. It is the reason why we've increased the amount of natural gas that this industry has produced. Uh, and that has led to a displacement of coal with natural gas, which has led to emissions going down year on year. Uh, and our GHG emissions continue to go down. We do, there are not the same environmental standards throughout the world. And we think that we should be producing that energy here in the United States because it, it's environmentally responsible and it's also good for consumers at the pump and elsewhere. Yeah, and as we highlighted the other day, Mike, uh, Russia, now the number two oil and oil product importer of the U.S. So with all the cars sold, we're going to get it from here or we're going to get it from there and ship it over in giant super tankers into Houston and Galveston. Either way, it's going to come because everybody bought a car. Mike Summers of API. Mark, exactly Mike, right. pleasure to have you on. An important Thanks, topic. Brian. Have a great day, Mike. Thank you. All right. You take care. All right. On deck. This morning's RBI. And here's a little bit of a hint. Something happened 40 years ago today that forever changed the way we live, we work, and maybe even invest. It has to do with computing. Today was maybe the, the most important day in the history of personal computing. And by the way, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It's called, you guessed it, Worldwide Exchange. We're back right after this. Time now for your morning RBI, and today is incredibly historic and may, may just be the most important day in the history of computing. Because 40 years to go today, IBM unveiled the first ever mass market personal computer and changed technology forever. The legendary IBM 5150 came out in 1981. Raise your hand if you remember that, sort of. Well, look at that beauty. Oh, yeah. And here's some random and interesting things you may not know about the 5150. It wasn't built in Silicon Valley or IBM's headquarters, but was secretly developed in IBM's little-known Boca Raton, Florida location, the capital of computers. It weighed in at a then unbelievably light 25 pounds. The low-end model was powered by a staggering 16 kilobytes of RAM, which, by the way, is about 16 million times less powerful than an entry-level laptop today. Oh, and the cost? It ran about $2,200 back then, or about $7,000 in today's money. In other words, it was heavy, it was slow, it was expensive, but it brought computers into people's homes, and we owe a lot to that IBM machine. Oh, by the way, so does a guy named Bill Gates, whose brand new QDOS, short for Quick and Dirty Operating System helped put a company called Microsoft on the map. So happy 40th birthday, personal computer. And hopefully that's random 
but interesting. All right, let's talk more now about the markets and that new taper talk with the Fed heads and where we might invest right now. Joining us is our friend John Stolfus, chief investment strategist at Oppenheimer Asset Management and a man who's probably too young to own that computer, but maybe owned another one. John, very quickly, I mean, you're not an individual stock name, but I threw out Microsoft. Do you think tech is still a good place to invest, big tech? Oh, we believe in tech. Uh, we think uh, we're not going back to the Abacus and we're not going back uh, to the slide rule, uh, Brian. Uh, we, we think uh, tech is not near a plateau yet. Uh, so we think tech has further to go. And indeed, our call from uh, May of this year has worked out pretty good so far, where we saw tech come back into to favor, particularly large cap. Yeah, not investing in daisy wheel printing companies and some others. Uh, do you feel, though, do you worry at all that, that some of these companies, John, as great as they may be, are getting a little hot, what, 22, 25 times forward earnings in some cases? I mean, they better perform. Without a doubt, Brian, they have got to perform, but we think they're in a sweet spot. You know, we've gone from hardware to software to streamware to subscriptionware. We're all on an upgrade cycle, whether it's a business or a consumer, and it's in bips that they make their, their, their hundreds of billions of dollars. So we've got to consider that the cycle is alive very much so for tech. We've got investors with a much broader appetite for equities, both growth and value. We like to say we want garpier growth and we want uh, uh, a growthier value. We think the multiples are really driven by the fact that interest rates are still near historical lows. And as a result of that, uh, that does support these levels that we see these stocks trading at. Are your clients asking you about COVID, about, I know you're not an epidemiologist, John, neither am I, but I'll bet you your clients are asking about the risk of potential slowdowns. Hawaii just went back to 50% capacity, you know, 1,200% jump in cases in a month. What are your clients asking you about that? Well, but before they even ask, we're telling them that that remains what we believe is the principal risk near term uh, to the progress of the markets. And that's related to the reopenings of the U.S. economy uh, and other economies around the world. The big challenge is how do we get back to the next new normal uh, with the COVID variants uh, at the levels they are? Just this morning, I think one of, one of the news pieces crossing the tape was that the third uh, largest uh, uh, port uh, in, uh, in the world or second largest in China, Ningbo, has shut down because of a, uh, an employee having COVID. You get that kind of thing, it's worrisome. But the good thing is these very large economies have both business and the consumers are wanting to get back to this next new normal. And the reality is if we mask, if we get the vaccinations, and that is admittedly haltingly moving forward at this point, but if we keep doing the right thing, uh, we'll likely get through this as we've gotten through so many challenges just uh, in our experience over the last nearly 40 years in the markets. Yeah, and some optimistic and positive words there as well. And like a doctor that we had on the other day said, Delta hopefully tends to burn hot and fast, but then burn out. If you look at UK and India, uh, hopefully we will follow the same pattern there. Spike drop. John Stolfus of Oppenheimer, liking big tech still. John, a pleasure. We like it when you come on. Have a great day. Thanks, bro. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. 
We're going to see you tomorrow morning. Remember, our exclusive insider buying segment will be on tomorrow morning. You don't want to miss that. Meantime, Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage next. Have an awesome day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.